Hollywood has never been particularly careful about how they portray the stories of the Bible. But in recent years, the problem seems to be getting worse. It's not just a matter of biblical illiteracy or artistic license. It's starting to look more and more like a case of sabotage, a deliberate attempt to alter, to change the stories of the Bible. Today, on The Voice of Prophecy, why I wish we could bring back Cecil B. are listening to the Voice of Prophecy, one of the longest-running continuous radio broadcasts on the planet. My name, Sean Boonstra, and I am not one of the longest-running broadcasters on the planet. In fact, I've been doing this for, oh, about 20 years now, maybe a shave less, and this show's been on the air for more than 85 years. Today, I'm speaking from beautiful Loveland, Colorado, where the summers are mild and perfect and the winters are, well, just about the same, mild and perfect, at least from my perspective. I'm originally from Canada, and just about any winter south of the 49th parallel seems pretty mild. Right now, I'm in my little studio sitting up at about 5,000 feet above sea level where the air is just a little bit thinner, and maybe by coincidence, the people are just a little bit nicer. I mean, honestly, I think that Loveland, Colorado might be one of the nicest places on earth. And if you've never been here, if you've never come to Loveland, it is high time, and no pun intended, high time that you come and visit. This might just be the perfect place to work and live. Anyway, this program isn't really a paid message from the Loveland Chamber of Commerce. That's just the way I feel about this beautiful community, which also happens to be, by an amazing coincidence, the birthplace of HMS Richards, the man who started this broadcast back in 1929. In fact, every day when I come into the office, I drive right past the little lake where HMS Richards was baptized as a young man. And if I'm not mistaken, he actually had his first preaching assignment just up the hill somewhere here in Colorado, up in the mountains. And then at some point, he moved up to Canada to pastor a church at Harmony Corners in Oshawa, Ontario, which also happens to be the spot where I started my broadcasting career some years back. In fact, my office was only a couple of blocks from HMS Richard's first church. So you might say, I've been following in his footsteps without even knowing it for a couple of decades now. I mean, not that I'm anything like the man. I'm not. He was a giant of broadcasting. I mean, the only thing we really have in common is the fact that we've shared two cities. Well, actually, make it three cities, because I guess he was in Los Angeles, and so was I for a number of years. So HMS and I have shared three cities and one job. Anyway, that's not really my subject for today. Just a little bit of background. I was thinking about Loveland when I came into studio today, and I should probably get down to brass tacks and talk about something that's really been bugging me off and on for a number of years. And I guess this all started with Mel Gibson's Passion of the Christ, one of the first Bible-based movies to make a really big splash in a very long time. I don't know if you remember all the kerfuffle in the wake of his movie, all the controversy, but it was really something. It made headlines. On the one hand, 
you had all these church-going Christians who absolutely loved the movie. They were selling tickets in church. They were busing people to the theater. They stood outside the theater and handed out religious tracts. And if I remember this right, they even had special screenings in churches all across the country. Some Christians were just all-out excited that Jesus had made it into the box office. But then, on the other hand, you had these other Christians who were not happy about the movie, because Gibson added elements to the story that are not found in the Bible, stuff that comes from the visions of an 18th-century Catholic mystic by the name of Anne Catherine Emmerich. She was actually the lady who gave the movie its name. The movie is named, at least sort of named, after her most famous vision, which is titled The Dolorous Passion of Our Lord Jesus Christ. So, you you clearly had elements in Gibson's movie that you don't find in the four Gospels. And that really bothered some Christians. They expended a lot of energy letting people know that Gibson's portrayal was not biblically accurate. And, to be honest, while I didn't really get worked up about it, I didn't protest, I didn't write about it, I do happen to be one of those Christians who did notice that Mel Gibson was drawing inspiration from non-biblical sources. There were parts of the story that were just wrong. They might have been minor parts, little tiny details, but biblically speaking, they weren't accurate. But, but you know, it wasn't just the non-biblical details that bothered some people. What really bothered them was the way that movie dwelt so heavily on the torture, the abuse, the death of Christ. And, of course, those things were real. They did happen. It was an awful thing that happened to Jesus. But in Gibson's version of the story, the resurrection of Christ, it's almost an afterthought. The whole movie is just so relentlessly violent, so bloodthirsty. It was visceral. And for the Christian, the point of the cross wasn't really the violence. The point of the cross is the resurrection. The point of the cross is that Jesus is no longer dead. The grave could not hold the Son of God. If Jesus didn't rise from the dead, Paul reminds us, then our faith is in vain. So, for a lot of people, the movie was so focused on the blood and the gore that it kind of missed the point. Some Christians actually hated the movie, and some people in the Jewish community really hated the movie, because they felt like Mel Gibson was encouraging anti-Semitism by blaming the crucifixion on the Jews. But you know, all that aside, if there's one thing one thing that the Passion of the Christ absolutely proved, it's that the North American public is far from finished with the stories of the Bible. The Passion of the Christ was a huge box office success. It sold millions and millions of tickets, and it really challenged this whole idea that the Western world has moved into a post-Christian era. Mel Gibson proved, I mean, at the very least, that the world is not finished with Jesus. He proved that God's Son can still draw a crowd, even in this postmodern, secular environment. If I be lifted up, Jesus said in John chapter 12, 
I will draw all peoples to myself. There's just something about Jesus that forces you to look. You have to deal with him one way or the other. You know, I always find it amazing that every new religious fad, every strange new cult, every encounter with space aliens, they all seem to work Jesus into the picture. They just can't leave him alone. You you even have flying saucer cults who try to explain that Jesus was a visitor from another world or that Jesus was some kind of an ascended master, a cosmic guru. People just can't leave Jesus out of the picture. It's like they have to explain him. They have to deal with who he was and what he said and how he lived. They they try to ride Jesus' coattails every time they invent a new religion. And they're all kind of proving the same thing Mel Gibson proved. Our human desire to know God is anything but dead. And our appetite for the Bible, it's anything but extinct. And yet, in spite of that, Hollywood isn't happy to just tell the story the way it is, the way the Bible tells it. And just as soon as I get back from a short break, we're going to take a look at some of the more recent offerings from the world of Bible movies. We're going to look at Noah and the Exodus. So hang tight. I'll be right back. Hello, I'm Jean Boonstra. Do you feel as if you have more questions than answers in your life? Like, where is God when people suffer? Or can I find real happiness? And is there any hope for our chaotic world? Are you searching for answers to these and other of life's biggest questions? Well, the Discover Bible Guides will help you find the answers that you're looking for. Visit us at BibleStudies.com or give us a call at 888-456-7933 for your free Discover Bible Guides. You can choose to study in the format that's most convenient for you. You may either do the lessons completely online or have them mailed right to your home. Both options are completely free of charge. Visit BibleStudies.com and begin your journey today to discover answers to life's deepest questions. According to The Hollywood Reporter, and I quote, 2014 marks the resurgence of the Old Testament at the movies, unquote. It's true. Biblical movies are making a comeback. First we had Noah by Darren Aronofsky, and then we had Exodus, Gods and Kings by Ridley Scott. And both of them were pretty big releases with a lot of hype, and from what I understand, pretty good box office results. Pretty good. But the question I want to ask is this, were these movies biblical? If you really wanted to know the story of Noah, or the story of the Exodus, Would these movies be a good place to start? I mean, if you had a friend who was suddenly showing interest in the Bible, would these movies be a good starting place? Well, the answer to that is probably not. Even if these movies were mostly faithful to the biblical accounts, I still think I'd take people to the words of the Bible itself first. Why? Well, it's because movies are one person's artistic depiction of a story. A movie is based as much or even more on a director's creative imagination as it is on the original text. They're going to do whatever it takes to sell the movie. They'll add violence. They'll add sex. They'll add political intrigue. They'll add whatever it takes to make the movie appealing to the masses. And in that process, a lot of important biblical details just end up on the cutting room floor. 
It's stuff that Bible students would find important. It's stuff that Christians would find important. People who understand how the whole Bible points forward to Jesus are going to notice the details that are missing. But a movie producer? Well, sadly, most of them just aren't going to get it, especially if they aren't people of faith, especially if they aren't Christians themselves. You see, the Bible isn't like other books on the shelf. Paul reminds us in 1 Corinthians 2 that, quote, "...the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God." In other words, you can't read the Bible like any other book that comes down to us from antiquity. The Bible is different. It's a personal revelation of God to the human race, and it was composed, to use the words of Peter, it was composed by holy men of God who spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. Now, you might not personally believe that. You might not believe that the Bible is an inspired book. And in that case, I suppose it doesn't really matter how much violence a movie producer does to the original content. It won't matter to you how much they change it. But I want you to remember, what I asked at the beginning was whether or not a Christian ought to use these movies to introduce someone to the Bible. And the answer is probably no. I don't think I would do it. I don't think I would let one person's entertainment-based interpretation shape a new believer's thoughts. I don't think I would give away our God-given responsibility to share the Bible with other people to movie producers, people who are willing to compromise the story in order to boost box office results. And even if the producer is a Christian, even if they are being as faithful as they know how to be, you still have to deal with the fact that visual interpretations of the Bible story are going to add all kinds of elements that set designers and actors and directors have to invent from their imagination. Not that there's anything particularly wrong with acting out Bible stories. I mean, my kids over the years have watched a lot of reenactments, a lot of Bible stories that were played out in front of a movie camera. But as a parent, I'm not going to let that be their first exposure. I'm usually not going to let them see the movie before we read the book. Because it's not the movie that was inspired. It's the book. When you read the Bible the way it is written, there's a lot more latitude for God to impress you with the thoughts you need to be thinking. There's an opportunity to slow down and really chew on what you're reading. Contemplate the thoughts that you're being exposed to. When you're reading, you can take notes, you can pray, and then you can let God's Spirit direct your thinking as you make your way through the biblical text. You know, it's a common complaint that the movie is never as good as the book, and the Bible is no exception. In fact, this is one case where a movie will never be as good as the book, because the movie isn't the way that God handed us the information. Now, just in case you think I'm some kind of a Puritan stick in the mud, just in case you think that I'm some kind of terrified Luddite who threw out his TV set because it's the tool of the devil, let me assure you that I'm not. I'm not against watching TV, and I'm not against making a biblical movie. I'm not against modern media. In fact, I'm a pretty big consumer. But I'm also a Christian preacher, and I know what the Bible says. And I've compared it to what Hollywood does with the stories of the Bible over the years, and the movie versions are sadly lacking. Over the years, I've discovered that the Bible doesn't have unimportant details. The more I study God's Word, the more I see that every verse, 
Every word has something important to say about Jesus. And most of Hollywood, I'm afraid, doesn't get it. They can't see it because they're not coming to the Bible to listen to God. They're coming to the Bible to make a box office blockbuster. Now, in the case of the movie Noah, we've got some really big problems because the producers didn't just skip important biblical details. They added stuff in that just isn't in the biblical story. For example, and this is a pretty famous example of what went wrong with that movie, the producers, the director, included these huge rock monsters, these creatures made out of stone that don't appear anywhere in the book of Genesis. Now, those creatures do appear in the writings of some ancient Jewish mystics, some people who fantasized way back when about the story of Noah, and they made fallen angels into these strange rock monsters, these petrified creatures known as the Watchers, who helped defend the ark from Noah's enemies as he's building it. Now, those monsters might make for really good movie-making, but it's just not true. Fallen angels in, in the Bible don't work to support God's servants. They don't willingly help God accomplish his plans, and they certainly are not called the Watchers. Now, there is a being called a Watcher in the book of Daniel, but he's certainly not a fallen angel, a member of the dark side. The Bible calls him a watcher, a holy one coming down from heaven. Now, if that was the only problem with the movie, it might be easy to explain. But the whole tenor of Aronofsky's interpretation is way off base. His telling of the story does not match the mood or the morality of the biblical account. Aronofsky has Noah finding out about the flood through a substance-induced revelation. He's got Methuselah serving as some sort of ritualistic shaman. He's got Noah acting like a hardcore environmentalist. And he's got Tubal Cain sneaking onto the ark, which just didn't happen. The movie has all sorts of things that completely deviate from the original narrative. Now, again, if you don't believe the story is true, I guess it's no big deal. You can just twist the story any way you want. If you believe it's mythology, you can do with it what you please. But for Christians, this isn't right. This is not the place to introduce your friends to the story of the Bible. Now, if they've already seen the movie and they start asking questions, that's one thing. But if your friend hasn't seen the movie, try the Bible first. Sit down and discuss it. Read it together. The God of Hollywood does not look like the God of the Bible. The God of Hollywood is capricious. He's distant. He's senselessly violent. He, he looks more like the whimsical gods of Olympus than the God revealed in the life of Jesus. The God of the Bible is different than the God of mythology. He's not like the bloodthirsty gods of pagan literature. He doesn't toy with the human race. And even though they do appear in the narrative because of human sin, God doesn't feed on bloodshed and violence. And I guess that's probably my biggest complaint with the Hollywood version of the Bible. It's not the picture that God was trying to show us when he had prophets write down the words of Scripture. You know, at least back in the days of Cecil B. DeMille, when he made the Ten Commandments, there was still this air of reverence. There was still an attempt to treat the Bible with respect. Now, his movies might have been a little schlocky, but at least they were respectful, and there was an effort to keep the story on track. 
But today, it seems like all caution has been thrown to the wind, and the Bible in Western culture has been demoted to a place somewhere alongside the mythology of pagan culture. And if all you see is what Hollywood presents, if all you see is this distant god and ancient rock monsters helping Noah build the ark, well then of course it's going to look like mythology. And maybe, come to think of it, that's the real problem. People who are first introduced to the story in a theater are now looking at Noah the same way they look at Ulysses or Hercules. To them it's just another story. We've made it look enough like mythology that people just assume that's what it is. And they never read the Bible. A place where it becomes abundantly obvious, if you're being honest with the text, that this is history. It's not a myth. Now, I'm going to take a quick break. And when I come back, I want to take a quick look at this other new biblical movie, Exodus, Gods and Kings, which was just recently in theaters. I'll be right back. Hello, I'm Jean Boonstra. Do you feel as if you have more questions than answers in your life? Are you searching for answers to some of life's biggest questions? Well, the Discover Bible Guides can help you find the answers you're looking for. Visit us at BibleStudies.com or call us at 888-456-7933 for your free Discover Bible Guides. Visit BibleStudies.com and begin your journey today to discover answers to life's deepest questions. Okay, I am back from the break, and in the little bit of time that we've got left, I want to look at Ridley Scott's portrayal of the life of Moses. Now, if you're going to put Noah and Exodus, the two movies, together on a chart and call one of them more biblical than the other, Exodus would probably win because at least there was some effort to stick with the biblical story. But even then, it kind of falls flat. And one place that this really shows up is when it comes to the crossing, the parting of the Red Sea. Now, the critics are really happy with that scene because they think that it's far more realistic than what Cecil B. DeMille did. It has better special effects. And visually speaking, the critics are probably right. But biblically, I think they're wrong. See, it turns out that the director was actually inspired by Cecil B. DeMille to not do the same thing. Here's what he said in an interview with Entertainment Weekly, and I quote, You can't just do a giant parting with walls of water trembling while people ride between them, Scott told Entertainment Weekly, saying he wasn't convinced when he saw Charlton Heston do it in Cecil B. DeMille's The Ten Commandments. I didn't believe it then, Scott said, when I was just a kid sitting in the third row. I remember that feeling and thought I'd better come up with a more scientific or natural explanation. End quote. Now, as a Christian, am I anti-science? Hardly. Am I one of those so-called drooling fundamentalists who thinks all science is from the devil? Listen, not even close. In fact, not only do I love science, particularly physics and astronomy, but that portrayal of Bible-believing Christians as loonies is a bit of a caricature. It's really an ad hominem attack by people trying to discredit Christian thinking. Those kinds of people, you know, the, the simpletons who think all science is of the devil, they might exist out there somewhere, but I move pretty widely in Christian circles, and I haven't met many of them. It's just not true. So, no, I'm anything but anti-science, and few Christians that I know are anti-science. 
But at the same time, I can't help but notice how many non-believers have made a new religion out of naturalism. They've made a dogma out of this idea that if you can't explain it in natural terms, then it can't be true. There, there have been big, thick books written that try to explain why we listen to music, why we fall in love, why we're inspired by art, and even why we're religious, and what they do is try to explain it with biochemistry. They say it's just something that happens in your brain. It's just a natural process. There's nothing more to it. There's an absolute refusal to explore the idea that human beings are more than biological machines. It's naturalism. And that's what Ridley Scott does with the Red Sea Crossing. As far as he's concerned, it cannot possibly be the hand of God. It's got to be something else. So how does he explain the Red Sea? With an earthquake. He goes all the way back to 3000 B.C. to this big earthquake off the coast of Italy. I mean, never mind that it's 1,500 years before the Exodus. That's what he does. He chalks it up to a tsunami. He says the waters recede in the face of the earthquake, and the Israelites cross... And then a tsunami hits and drowns the Egyptians. And honestly, there was no reason to use an earthquake except to diminish the role of God in this story. The crossing of the Red Sea is such a famous story. It's so well known that you're not going to have audiences calling the movie a flop because God parted the waters. There's no reason to explain it away except to subject the Bible to our modern cult of naturalism. But let's suppose for a moment that God is absolutely real. The vast majority of human beings believe He exists, so let's suppose He's real as most of us believe. And let's suppose that God is everything He claims to be. He's perfectly fair, He's perfectly just, He's perfectly merciful, He is love. Let's suppose God is like Jesus said He is, every bit like Jesus Himself was. Why would you want to cut that God out of the story? Why would you want to make that God look like Zeus or Poseidon? I mean, unless you're trying to deal with the fact that if God is real, he has some very real claims on your life. Unless you realize that your own values, your own life, are radically at odds with the God of the Bible, and so you kind of need him to not be real. Personally, I think there's a very good reason that Bible movies are as popular as ever. For generations, the Soviets starved people who were hungry for God. They taught in their schools that God didn't exist. And then, the moment the walls came down, people came back to the church in droves. More than 70 years of indoctrination could not kill the human urge to look for God. And here in the West, the state didn't try to ban religion, even though it's starting to seem like there's more of that going on than there used to be. There has been, though, an effort to drown out God's voice. There has been an effort to move us into an entirely naturalistic, humanistic way of life. But I'm telling you, the urge to find God, that's not dead. And the box office continues to prove it. There is still a hunger. There is still an appetite for the Bible. The problem is that key themes of the Bible really aren't making it onto the screen. It's not that easy to really get the message that God is trying to deliver. For that, you're going to have to go back to the book itself. You're going to have to see what God says. And if that interests you, if you've always wanted to get a good grasp on the Bible, if you've always wanted to understand it for yourself, we will be more than happy to get you started down that road. Just call or write or email, and we'll help you discover what the Bible actually says.
And, of course, I'm already out of time here in Loveland, Colorado. I can't believe I'm looking at the clock on the wall. That's all we've got for this week. And so, until we meet next time, I'm Sean Boonstra, and this has been The Voice of Prophecy. Hello, I'm Jean Boonstra. Are you searching for answers to life's toughest questions? Like, where is God when we suffer? Can I find real happiness? Or is there any hope for our chaotic world? Are you searching for answers to these and other of life's most challenging questions? Well, the Discover Bible Guides will help you find the answers that you're looking for. Visit us at BibleStudies.com or give us a call at 888-456-7933 for your free Discover Bible Guides. Study online on our secure website or have the free guides mailed right to your home. There is never a cost or obligation. The Discover Bible Guides are our free gift to you. You'll find answers to the things that matter the most to you in each of the 26 Discover Bible Guides. Visit BibleStudies.com and begin your journey today to discover answers to life's deepest questions.